I spent six years in the Navy, and after I got out of the Navy, I spent five years working at a trucking company. And I always tell people, if you come up with something I haven't heard, I don't know if I'd be offended or impressed, because I feel like I've heard just about everything between those two places. But even in those places, I never did drugs, I never drank, it was never my thing. I also had family who had fallen into the trap, so I never got into alcohol or alcoholism and any of those things. Didn't even like taking any sort of medication for anything, if I could help it. But today, I woke up with my back letting me know it did not feel like doing anything today. So I took enough of the Motrin that I think it went away. But I'm preaching on that now. So keep me in your prayers. Um, Kristen gives me little signs when she thinks I'm a little off track. Here's a little secret, guys. The enemy doesn't like what we're doing here. He doesn't doesn't just like what we're doing here. He doesn't like it that Boone County hasn't fallen under that same sort of depression and criminal aspect and all the things that are going on all around us, yet here we are in Boone County. You know, this isn't such a bad place, guys. Did you know that? Do you know? And it's getting better here. You know, the world wants us to think that everything's decaying and and that it's dying because the world knows nothing of life, does it? The world only knows, and this is why things like evolution, I always say that the biggest problem you have to overcome is that when you look at the entire universe, everything seems to be breaking down, slowing down, decaying. It's going worse. It's breaking apart. It's not coming together. That to come together and to make life out of something new without a supernatural intervention is against nature. Amen? And we're talking this week about 10 questions that the church needs to answer, that the world is asking that the church needs to answer. Our our text for the whole series is 1 Peter Uh, Chapter 3, so head over there, Um, or scroll over there if you're scrolling over there. I know Sharon's into her smartphones, right, Sharon? I tease her. I I can text all my deacons but one. (laughs) So I text Colleen, and Colleen walks next door and gets Sharon. It's a neighborhood system we have going, but it works. Um, You don't mind that I tease you a little bit, do you? Is that okay? Okay. I think if anybody got offended by me teasing them from the pulpit, I'd be just preaching to myself at this point. Amen. Um, so 1 Peter 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 16 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with all gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Anybody ever been reviled? I think I have a few times in my life. I think I've, I've crossed that line with some people. But you know, when the Spirit of God is in you, and, and you really are that person that's always helpful and always kind and always, always trying to do the best for people, that when somebody reviles you, it makes them look bad, not you. Did you know that? That's why I try not to argue with people on Facebook because most of the time the people that want to argue on Facebook are the ones that aren't doing anything but Facebook all day, right? That's kind of their world. That's kind of their thing. And I always think they don't have a voice <laughs> except that I acknowledge this and, you know, and we got to, you know, wrestle this thing out, right? But we do need to be able to give a defense for the hope that is in us, but they need to see the hope that is in us and not our criticism. So disruption is a business term that I used to hear a lot back when I was in the business world a year and a half ago. I know ancient history now. They use the term disruption. It's used to describe the phenomenon that occurs when a traditional business model is completely replaced by an innovation that renders the previous business model obsolete. For instance, how many of you are carrying on you a Kodak camera? 
a Polaroid, right? How many of you are going to go to Blockbuster later on and grab a movie for tonight, right? Those things no longer exist, right? Because the technology came and made those things completely irrelevant. They don't even exist anymore. I always like it that the, the red box came out and basically eliminated Blockbuster's entire business model with a box, you know, that had to really be kind of a... Uh, but then if, if anybody had to pay late fees to Blockbuster, you were like, that was of the Lord, that place was right. Um, for those of us that grew up in that age, our kids have no idea why you'd have a cassette and a pencil together, Right? But you needed those things. But at some point, a technology came that completely disrupted those. Technology has changed the way we build and maintain friendships. Our children are growing up in a world where, because of Facebook, no one has to say goodbye forever because of distance. There were people in my life that I was pretty sure the last time I said goodbye to them because I was moving. And keep in mind, I grew up in Louisville, but I was in the Navy, so I lived in uh, Great Lakes, I lived in Orlando, I lived in San Diego, I lived in Virginia Meet, Beach where I met Kristen, then we moved out to Springfield, and about that time the internet became kind of a thing, really when I got out of the Navy in 96, so that was right about the time the internet becomes a thing. Before that, when you said goodbye to somebody, that was it, right? It's goodbye forever. I mean, oh well, sure, we'll write, you know, I'm a terrible writer. If I ever told you I was writing back then, my mom is like, I love it how you send me a card for my birthday and anniversaries and everything. And I'm like, Mom, did you get any of those before I married Kristen? She's like, no. There you go, Mom. I sign them. I write everything in there. But without Kristen there to remind me, you know, I was just very bad at writing. So there was a time when we would say goodbye forever. We don't do that anymore because now, even if you're going to move across country or out of somebody's life, or how many of you connected with somebody back in Facebook or on the Internet that you thought was gone forever? And then after you connected with them, you're like, that's why you were gone forever, right? <laughs> you're like, you're like you're, you friend them, and then you're like, oh, wait, yeah, we're, we're completely different people now, aren't we, right? So they're growing up in a different place. They're going to connect new ways socially. Now, keep in mind, in reference to the church, right, when you look at the church, and we'll just take American history. It goes back 200 years, right? That's a great thing about America. Our history only goes back 200 years. Can you imagine living in England and going back, you know, to 1000 AD or, you know, even further back than that? So in church, in America, church started off as the community hub, right? In fact, one of the things I love about American history is all the secular colonies kept faltering and, and failing. The, the Jamestown colony and, and Roanoke and all these other colonies failed until Christians came, right, to establish religion as the center part of life and the center part of the community. And when they established religious communities, those were the ones that took hold in the new world. And I know now, you know, with our revisionist history and, and we downplay the religious aspect and upplay just anything that's not religious, right? That's kind of how the world handles these things. But church was kind of designed here as a center of the community. And for many, many years, that's what it was. In fact, back before there was television and radio, you went to church because that was really the only time each week you met everybody in one place, right? How many, how many of you drove more than three miles to get here? right? So what this tells you about your church is that your church is not necessarily a community church anymore, right? Because you weren't going to a church that was 10 miles away or 20 miles away, or sometimes you drive across town to find a good church, right? Back then, you were just stuck with the church you had. And even as, you know, as tel television and media and things like that made it, our lives a little more separate, people then started doing televangelisms or listening to guys on the radio, and some people would say, well, this is church, and I don't really need the church church. I'll just do the radio church or the TV church. And now, of course, we have Internet church, which we are streaming live to this morning because sometimes we have people that can't make it, so we want them to be connected, right? But church is changing. 
and the way people communicate is changing. And I know for some of us older ones, we think, well, you know, church is always going to be the way it is, but church is not going to look like in 10 years what it looks like now. And we've got to figure out when the world asks us, what's the point of church, what are you going to tell them? What's your, I wish this was a Wednesday night, right? On Wednesday night, I can ask you guys questions and you respond. You know, Sunday morning, we're all formal. Everyone's sitting up straight. You're all dressed nice. I didn't wear a tie today because Hunter said I looked more Southern without a tie on. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I look more Southern without it. So today, I didn't put one on. But so what we have to answer them, and this is the thing about kids nowadays, okay? And we're just going to have to figure this out, old people, myself included, right? In our day... If we ask an adult a question and they didn't feel like answering it, they would say, because I said so, and you were just expected that was it, and you just went on with your life. Kids nowadays don't take that as an answer. Did you know that? Do you know if you can't explain to them, like when we talk about having a good answer for the hope that lies within you, if you can't give them some reason, and this is not a bad thing, because we were raised with a whole lot of rules that stayed in place for no other reason than the rules were in place. And I can tell you, I can give you a great example of that. It is actually 1230, right? But somebody made a rule 80 years ago that said, hey, everybody flip your clocks back twice a year. We're going to move it forward once. We're going to move it back another time. And everybody's like, okay, sounds like a great idea. They have no idea why we do it anymore. They're like, oh, it's for the farmers. Is Warren here? Warren's not here this morning. Warren... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, farmers don't, right, Claire, farmers don't care about daylight savings time. In fact, if you're a dairy farmer, it throws off your dairy production with your cows, right? Because they're on a schedule. They have kind of their thing going. Now you're doing it an hour earlier. When my alarm clock went up this morning, I had ungodly thoughts. <laughs> I, I had to repent before I got out of bed at whoever's idea this was. Because I love getting up at 5 on a Sunday morning and my body just naturally wakes up at 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And this morning when that was going off, my body knew it was lying. <laughs> right? But somebody made a rule and we just keep going with it because it's the rule. Right? It's daylight savings time. What would, we, what would everybody do if we just didn't change our clocks? Right? What would, would the world stop spinning? Right? Like, uh, we, we get you government. We're good. We're just going to keep it at 1230, which we happen to know it is. Right? But we follow the rule because the rule was made. But one of the nice things about the generations that are coming up behind us is they're questioning a lot of the reasons why we do these things. And that's good because there are some things that need to fall away. There are some things that need to be paired off and they need to be stripped back down to what they were. That's why a lot of times in churches now we talk about the first century church, right? How do you get back to the first century church? Of course, anyone that reads Corinthians knows that's a bad idea, right, Mona? Because there was some messed up stuff in the first century church, just like there is now. It was not the idyllic place. But we do want to strip off some of what church becomes when it no longer serves the purpose of what church is for. And then I ask the question, what is church for? Well, let's head over to Corinthians. Speaking of our favorite people who needed to be corrected over and over, I don't know what Paul would have done without the Corinthians. See, this is the pastor's heart, right? That he really loves these people, but he's constantly... And you know, there's two books of Corinthians we don't even have that got lost that he makes mention of, other letters that we don't actually have, right? And, and I, I wonder if maybe God lost those on purpose because Paul was just losing his temper at this point. He's like, look, guys, you know, this is, this is out of control. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to go to verse 12. And what it says there is, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are, and, <laughs> and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The first reason that we have a church, the first reason the church exists, is because we are the physical manifestation of Christ on earth. That Jesus is appearing to Muslims, and that's great. And Jesus does divinely appear to people, and some people have visions and things like that. But nine times out of ten, if God wants to show himself on earth, he first tries to use the church. Now I say tries to use, because sometimes church, people that are in charges of church, you know, all of that, sometimes, sometimes we kind of want the church to do what we want to do, right? And not what God wants to do. You know, sometimes people come to me with ministry ideas or ideas about the church that I have no interest in. I'm just like, sounds great. But you know what? A lot of times they come because God has an interest in it, and I just need to get behind them and, and bring that vision to pass. That the church isn't all about what David thinks we should have here in Belvedere, but the church is about God moving in the body, and that the body has separate parts. Like we were talking about um, Angie and Kristen and Debbie and Pat, and I've got this crew of people, um, and I don't name names. Oh my gosh, why would you do that, Pastor? Right? You never name names from the pulpit because as soon as you do the, and, and like literally half the church falls into this moment, all, my whole group, all you guys, right? They're, they're geared more towards helping. One of the things I noticed when I came here, when we did our first spiritual gifts inventory, I drew out this big graph of all the spiritual gifts we have in church. I took out everybody's total, and I love numbers and graphs and things like that. And I noticed that our church was like way up here on helps and service and giving and things like that, where people do something for them. And then our church was really geared around that. And we were really down here on healing and supernatural and prophetic and, and anything that, that had that side, because that's kind of where the church was at. Right, And so as a church body, we've adjusted over the last year and a half that more of the spiritual gifts are coming up, but we're not losing the helping gifts in relation to that, right? Because it's not a zero-sum game. It's not like if I'm good at praying, then I've got to be bad at helping people, or if I'm good at helping people, I've got to be bad at ministering spiritually, right? That it's something where we can be both. And the main purpose of the body of Christ is that God wants us to do his will on earth. Now, here's the amazing thing about that is by God doing that, He's limiting his own authority. Do you know why? Because he's asking. Imagine that, God Almighty, creator of the entire universe, all power at his disposal, the waves and seas obey him, and yet his own people, he's got a 50-50 shot. Right? You can name in that church, it's okay. I'm not, you know. He limits himself by working through us because he limits himself to what we'll listen to and what we'll obey. Now, the reason I say that, when we have this fire, when we have things that happen in our community, when we see tragedies around us, when people say things like, why did God let this thing happen? You know, as soon as I heard about this, and the, the amazing thing was, is that Friday night I had this anxiousness in my spirit, and I'm, I'm interceding, I don't know why, and I'm praying in the spirit, and I don't know why, just something's going on, and then when I find out Saturday morning early that this had happened, I understood. And so I drove down there, and I'm talking to the police officers and the people that are around, and I'm looking for ways to help and, and things that the church can do. Because God wants to help the people that have been through that, but he wants to use us to do it, right? Now, here's the thing. What if we don't listen to him? What if we've got other things to do? What if we've got other priorities? What if, you know, I'd really like to do that, but there's a long list of things I've got to knock out first. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we won't. Then all of a sudden, that need goes unmet, and then you have somebody who could look at us and say, why did God let this happen? 
You know, a lot of times the answer to why did God let this happen was because I had someone in place that was going to rise up and show myself real to you, but they didn't in that moment. Now, loss is inevitable. And I think about this a lot because what is the number one thing people blame God for is death, right? The death happens. But I've got news for everyone in here. We're all going through that door unless Christ comes back and raptures us, right? And yet... Sometimes we're surprised that somebody we didn't want to go through that door does. But the answer to that is that God has a body of believers who are supposed to step up and fill the gap. Because there's a thing about being family in church that should be deeper than our biological family. Right? I mean, Christ said things like, no one who leaves their father or mother or brothers or anyone for my kingdom will, will I fail to repay for that. And yet, we still have an idea that our regular family should be, <laughs> whoa, we're going get in trouble here, more important than our church family. But what if our church family was supposed to be a family? Because here's the difference. Some of us were adopted, right? I wasn't adopted. I, I think I was sometimes. I love my family, but there's got to be an explanation there. Um, but when you're adopted, you're chosen to be in the family, right? Like, I love my kids, but they weren't asked, right? They were like, hey, Gareth, we want to be your parents. What do you think, right? Well, how do you feel about this? These are, these are our pros. These are our cons. You know, I'm a really fun guy, but I'm not real organized, but your mom's super organized. But, you know, sometimes she's, you know, a little, he's more street. <laughs> she's beautiful, and you'll love her for your mom, Right? You didn't get a choice in that, did you? You were just kind of born into it, and we just kind of made our way through it. But church should be a type of chosen family, right? It should be a family with a bond. But here's the thing about our culture, right? Is that when we get hurt by family, they're still family, right? My sister did that. I remember my sister, she hit her growth spurt right before I did, right? She was a year older than me. And let me tell you, for the two years that she was bigger than me, my life was not pleasant, Right? <laughs> Because she was bigger than me for two years, right? Now, when I got to her size, all of a sudden, we didn't, we didn't fight as much. I don't know what happened. We didn't, you know, there wasn't me, right? But, but, right? But if family's mean to you, they're still family. But if church is mean to you, what do you do? You find a new church, right? Because the bond between the church members isn't as strong. Because if we can choose to be in the family, we can choose to be out of the family. But finding a new church never fixes usually why people leave a church. Did you know that? Most people that, that leave one church to find another, it doesn't usually fix. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes, God bless them, churches are bad. Um, and it's because of this. Our bodies don't always look like our bodies are supposed to look, right? Like my body is about 32 Reese's cups past where it should be, <laughs> right? So I always have this image. I always, I always think, you know, if I were to be translated right now into the presence of God, I pray that I would be about 50 pounds lighter, right? And I have the abs like you see in the pictures, you know. I don't want to work for them. Like, I don't put in all that effort, but I'd love to have them. I mean, it seems nice. Um, but our church body does the same thing when we over-exaggerate one thing and we neglect another. Like, if we have only health gifts, but we don't have any spiritual gifts, we don't have the prophetic, or we don't have, you know, speaking in tongues, if we don't have certain gifts of the Spirit, but we do have other ones, then the church becomes a distortion of what Christ wants us to be. And a lot of times that happens is because you get a few dominant personalities in a church that want to take over things and make everybody praise and worship and act and do everything like they do, and then all of a sudden the body doesn't look like Christ, it looks like the person who wanted to make it like them, 
right? And that's why we have to be careful in church to let God be the head of this thing and to grow like he wants us to grow and to be like he wants us to be so that when the world looks at us, we are an accurate representation of Christ. Oh my gosh, I'm so far behind. I'm not usually behind, but today we've got a whole thing planned with new members and I'm really excited about it. And I told myself, prepare very little so that I don't talk a whole lot. That's not working out. Um, Let's go to Ephesians, and I'm going to try and go through these next ones a little bit quicker. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Because we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardian. I'm in Galatians, not Ephesians. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4. Not only did I turn to the wrong place, but I bookmarked the wrong place before church. But you know how I could tell is I color in my Bible, and the wrong verse was colored in. So Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were all called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host captives and he gave gifts to men. And we're going to skip down to verse, verse 10. He says, he who has descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We're going to come back to unity over and over and over again in the next 15 minutes. Um, Every gift you have been given, you have been given with a purpose, and that purpose is the body of Christ. Now, the thing about spiritual gifts is that... Well... You know, you can be really mean about it because Jesus said to the person who took the talent that he gave him and buried it, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, but we won't go that far. But I will guarantee you that the majority of us are not using our spiritual talents to their maximum ability. I'd say all of us aren't using it to the maximum. Some of us don't feel like we have any. Some of us feel like, I don't really have all those great things like you see, like I'm not an apostle and people aren't you know, waiting for my shadow to go by and being healed and, and all that kind of thing. And they think that I don't really have any what I would call the sparkly gifts, right? The glitter gifts, right? The, the speaking and the, and the laying on of hands and running across the back of pews, if that's a spiritual gift, I, I want it. Um, I haven't got it. It's a little crowded now, but maybe I could still you know, weave, a, weave a way between there. A lot of people think they don't have it. Other people think they're not allowed to use them. Do you know people walk into a church and they don't feel comfortable using spiritual gifts inside of a church because, again, sometimes churches are not set up in the image of what Christ wants us to be, but they're set up of the image of the people who are in charge of a church. This is why a lot of us went to churches for a long time that you would be talking to somebody at your job or you'd be talking to somebody you knew and it was burning on your heart that this really person needed to come to the Lord and they need to be in a church and connected with a body of believers and yet you couldn't invite them to yours right? You're like, man, you really need to know the Lord and get in church. What about your church? Let's, let's maybe a different church. I hear there's a good church. This church sounds really great. I've heard good things about it, right? 
Because we have to make our church the place that when our heart burns within us to bring somebody to it, that this is the place that they come to receive from the Lord. Right? <laughs> skip, 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 skip. A church devoid of the gifts of the Spirit is a social club. Amen? If the Holy Spirit is not moving in our church, if it's not moving in our congregation, if I can't at some point see somebody else ministering under the power of the Holy Spirit, then what we have here isn't what is described in the, body as, in the Bible as the body of Christ. Because the, here's the thing about your body. If I tell my hand to grab this paper and to pick it up and my hand doesn't do it, right, then something is wrong with my hand. I would say that I was crippled in it. Any of us are going through, my mom has rheumatoid arthritis and her fingers, you know, they can't do all the things they used to could do, right? And all of a sudden you're trying to tell your body to do something and your body's not doing that. And how often does Christ cry for his body to heal somebody, cry for his body to minister to a community, and yet he can't move his hand? Imagine that. Then we talk about how we crucified Christ at his crucifixion or we died with him when we came to salvation. But how many times do we as Christians live in a way that cripples the body of Christ, that he cannot stretch out his hand and meet the needs of those who need to be met? No, we're, we're be positive today. Let's go to Galatians. Now we're going to Galatians. That explains the other, the other one. So the church exists. What was my first one? The church exists to be part, to be the body of Christ and a place to use our spiritual gifts. In Galatians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, it says, Brothers, if any is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest ye too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself will be himself alone and will not be in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own burden. I'm sorry if I'm having trouble reading. Um, but the key thing there is that the church exists to bear the burdens of the people in church. Now, of course, you know, some of us are just so perfect that no one would ever have to bear anything of us, right? I mean... They just want to be around us all the time because we're so great. And they're just like, hey, what can I do to be around you? And then others of us are like, oh, that person always needs something from me. Or they always want something. Why do I always have to do something for that person? And yet the church exists to bear the burdens of one another. Now, when someone has a very present need, it's easy to run after that need and fit it and, and, and to help them with it, right? But most of the people in church that carry the burdens in church never let anyone know they have a need right? Any, anyone ever walked into a service just discouraged and then walked out of a service just discouraged? Anyone ever gone home on a Sunday afternoon and you lay down on the couch and you're like, nobody at that church loves me and God doesn't hear me and nothing's going on in my life and, and where am I, right? You walk in that way and you walk back out the same way and the problem isn't always in the church, because a lot of us have trouble bearing ourselves to another person. Now, why is that? Because we've known terrible people, amen? I, always, I say this, you know, um, on some issues I'm liberal and some I'm conservative, and one of the things I, I do kind of agree with in the feminist movement is that the key danger to women is men, right? That usually if something bad happens to a woman, it's a man doing it, right? And so men, sometimes we have to understand that if women are naturally skittish about things, it's probably because somebody that looked a lot like us did something bad right? And we have to be cognizant of that. Now, as a church, we live in a world that has been hurt by the church. 
We live in a world that grew up with the swagger controversy and the baker controversy and the Catholic priest controversy and just name after name after name of minister who fell, of churches who judged them, of places they went to be healed and came out more wounded than they came in. And we as a church have to recognize the fact that the people that we are around may have been wounded by somebody that looks a lot like us. But you know what? Healing is going to come through somebody that looks a lot like us too. See, every, every time when you see something like this happen and you know the world is in a bad place, it's not that the bad is there just to oppress people, but it's there to give the people of God an opportunity to rise up and be what they're supposed to be because the Holy Spirit is living inside the people that come into this church because God is doing a work. Did you know you can hear the Holy Spirit? You can hear the voice of the Lord and not just here at the altar, but you can hear it at the gas station. You can hear it at the grocery store. You can hear it when you're going out to get your mail and you know that your neighbor is struggling and they're looking for someone and God wants wants to speak, but who's going to be his voice? It's going to be those who are quickened by the Holy Spirit to do his will. And that's when the body of Christ becomes what it's supposed to be. And church should be the place where we learn to do that. Amen? I've got a lot. Uh, we could get into intimacy all day. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 18.1, if you want to read that on your own, I love it because it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation is always the enemy of church. <laughs> Let me tell you, there, I, I would say most of us in here have at some point not wanted to go to church because we didn't want to be around people because we were hurting and we didn't want anyone to see that we were hurting. And so it was easier to cut ourselves off, turn off the lights, close the shades, stay home where nobody could see that we were hurting and just isolate ourselves because we think that that's how we're going to get healed. But that's not where healing is. In fact, most of the time when you do that, what happens? You get depressed, you get discouraged, you get despondent right? Sometimes the biggest act of faith you can do is just to walk out the door and get to the church and get around God's people so that hopefully when the presence of God moves, somebody does find that way to encourage you. This is, <laughs> this is why, man, exhortation is such an underutilized gift in the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes we have a hard time walking up to another Christian and just saying, you know what? You're a blessing to me. Dee, did you know you're a blessing to me every time you're on that piano? I just like it. Now, you're easy, right? Because you're on the piano. So Dee's right up here on the stage. You could see what Dee is doing. But sometimes there are people who need to be encouraged, and they're not up here on the stage, right? And sometimes God's putting something in our heart. But man, it's hard to go up and tell somebody, isn't it? We're just, we're just not, I don't know if it's society, I don't know if it's church, I don't know what it is, but we have to be a little more bolder in just saying nice things to each other. Did you know that? Did you know that? You are a good-looking bunch, let me tell you. I'm just, I'm just practicing. Let's go to Psalms 133, and I'm going I'm to get through this. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life evermore. The progression is, is that church is a place where when there is unity, there, what is it, where there is unity, there is anointing. Where there's anointing, there's blessing. And where there's blessing, there's life. Amen? That in church, it, this is how it goes. When there's unity, there's blessing. There's anointing. When there's anointing, there's blessing. When there's blessing, there's life. And we could do a whole thing on that. In fact, I, I preached on this just a year and a half ago. I don't know if you remember this. I, I was looking through my notes, and I saw that. And I saw a funny note that, that Mona thought, you thought this was hilarious, right? That it said, um, 
I know it's my it's I know it's only my fourth sermon here, but I talk fast. Was the, like one of the first lines there. I thought, oh boy. Um, that when you read that, unity brings anointing, anointing brings blessing, and blessing brings life. And I wish I could preach on anointing more than I have time to do today. But if you don't understand how precious the anointing of God is on your life, you need to figure that out. Because when you are walking in your anointing, you're walking in your authority, you're walking in your calling, you're walking in your place. You have authority when you're under the anointing. You have a different, there's something different about you. I know when I come into Boone County that God has anointed me in this county. And every time I cross the county line, I know that I am in the place that God has anointed me to be in. But you know, I've been in jobs where I would walk around and I knew that God had anointed me to be in the place that I was in. And when I walked in there, I had a different authority and I carried myself in a different way because it wasn't just me walking in there, but God had called me to be in that place. If you don't know in your life where God has called you to be and what you're anointing is and where you can walk in that you've got to find that because that more than anything will define your blessing and it will bring you life and when you're outside of your anointing and you're outside of your blessing you're always gonna feel a little off and it's always gonna feel like everything's always falling apart because you're not walking where your anointing's at man i wish we could go on that longer (laughs) we're in five to twelve how do you guys feel about one o'clock um A church without unity is a misrepresentation of Christ. In fact, it's a form of blasphemy. Blasphemy is a tough word because I don't think we truly understand what it means. Um, But when a church doesn't have unity, you know, right? When a church isn't together. And I'm saying this because I think, (laughs) hey, we're not all perfect but I do feel unity when I walk in here. I do feel a general, a general level of we are all on the same page, that we are moving to the same place, that we are going where God wants us to go, and that is a good thing because there's blessing and there's life in that. You know, I always say that when you drive by churches, you should always look for signs of life. Does that church like it's alive or does it look like it's just kind of floating by, right? Because churches that are anointed, churches that are unified, have an anointing and a blessing, and there's always life inside those churches. And that's what we're doing today. Today we're doing our new membership Sunday, which just kind of went along with all of what we were doing, that we were coming to that place, why do we have church, and just everything fell into place for this message. I tell you what, it's easy, Jake. I don't know why you ever struggle. It's just totally easy. Just walk up here and it all falls together. I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> today, today um, we're going to be accepting new members into our church. Our church is a covenant church. And let me tell you something about what I mean by that. One, I mean that in a second, I'm going to read out a covenant to them, and they're going to say, I will, and I'm going to read out a covenant to the church, and the church is going to say, I will. That When we come into church, church membership is not a, hey, I belong to your club, but it's a, hey, I'm a part of your family. It's a, hey, I belong here. This is my place, right? This is my home, right? <laughs> Eventually, you know, when, when the church is exactly like the Lord has shown me, we're, gonna, we're actually going to, we're, we're probably going to do baptisms right in line with this. Um, but for right now, I want all the people who are coming into membership today to stand up and come forward. If I counted correctly, there should be seven, right? Two, four, six, seven. No, no, John. Just kind of all gather right here. Josh and Angie, Jake and Taylor. I said there's first, so I didn't mix up Josh and Jake. They have a little thing going there where I do that. Jill, 
Paul and Claire. All of these are coming forward today to become members of our church. I want the deacons to come forward. If you guys can turn and face me. It's like Catholic Church. Stand, sit, kneel. Stand, sit, kneel, right? I debated on doing this, but this is, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. I want everyone who's a member of the church now to stand. And I only want the members to stand, and, and, and that's because this covenant is between those who are members and those who are coming in. And I don't mean to exclude anybody, but, but this part is between family. And that doesn't mean that you can't be part of the family. It doesn't mean some of you won't be part of the family, but, but this, is, this is how it, this needs to be. So I'm going to read to you each, I'm going to read to you guys three pledges, and if you agree to this, then I want you to at the end of it to say, I will. The first one is, do you, do you as new members here before God promise that you will love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Will you strive to live a godly life as a witness to the church and to the world as the, of the changing power of Jesus Christ? Will you strive to be led by the Holy Spirit in all things that you might stand before God one day and hear him say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Will you love and forgive your brothers and sisters unconditionally? Will you be patient with them, kind to them? Will you bear their burdens, hope for the best in them, and even endure hardship that you might serve them? And will you always strive to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the church? Will you intercede on the church's behalf? Will you support it with your finances? Will you strive to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters as though they were your own, that you might serve the church? All right, turn and face the congregation. Congregation, I'm going to ask you these questions, and if you will, then at the end of the question, I want you to respond with, I will. Do you as a church promise to display the love of God before these and welcome them into the church as one of our own? Will you strive to live a godly life as a witness to these new candidates and the world of the changing power of Jesus Christ? Will you strive to be led by the Holy Spirit in ministering them that you might stand before God one day and hear him say to you, well done, now good and faithful servants. And will you promise to love and forgive these candidates unconditionally? Will you be patient with them, kind to them? Will you bear their burdens? Will you hope for the best in them and even endure hardship that you might serve them? And will you always strive to meet their physical and spiritual needs? Will you intercede on their behalf? Will you support them with your finances? Will you strive to meet their needs as though they were your own that you might serve them? Dee, if you could come to the piano. And Elaine. Just do you are good.